Hey, I'm downtown Josh Brown. I am here with Witholtz Wealth's Chief Data Analytics Manager, Nick Majuli. You may know him from his incredible blog of Dollars and Data. And Nick wrote about the difference between lump sum investing, dollar cost averaging, and then asset allocation. Those being your three choices to invest basically excess cash and inheritance. And you were not terribly surprised by what you found, but I think a lot of other people would be surprised. Tell us what tell us what you learned. So earlier this year, I wrote a post which was comparing, as you said, a lump sum investment to someone who averages in over time. So, so slowly over. buying the S and P five hundred. Yeah, let's say you had a. I say a lump sum. Let's say you had like you know you got a some sort of windfall. Maybe you sold a business. You have a couple like million monopoly. dollars. Monopoly. Yeah. I want a beauty pageant. Yes. Two hundred dollars. Except it's okay. like like two million dollars. And yes. also that would never happen. Yes. Okay, so. Bad. Instead of putting it all in once into stocks, you would average in over time. And so doing that, I found that it's always it's almost always optimal to go in all in at once, right? No matter what the time period is, okay, the longer so it is. So putting yeah. the whole lump sum into stocks historically has been better than lump sum investing over time because of the market's tendency to go higher over yeah. time. So, so most people, the sooner you get invested. Yeah. So most okay. people, when they hold up, they're like, oh, I'm kind of afraid. It's because they think there's going to be a dip. And sometimes there is, and that's unfortunate. But most of the time, the market keeps going up. And so if you'd been waiting for a dip, let's say even... In 2012, you've been waiting for a dip. You'd still be waiting for a big dip. Okay, right so now. that yeah. so that's not controversial. Yeah. And when you did that, it got a lot of attention, yeah. just because I think you um, illustrated it in a way that many people haven't seen before. Yeah, and we discussed that before on the channel. So. Right. Okay, so now you've taken it a step further, and you've said, okay, invest the whole lump sum is best. Mm-hmm. Dollar cost averaging is okay, mm-hmm. but here is actually the best of both worlds. Almost. What if you just add to an asset allocation portfolio that has stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. does that beat dollar cost averaging? And what did you find? Yeah, I found that you can, so instead of just going all into stocks, what if you went all in on a more you know conservative portfolio? So some right? stocks, some bonds, yeah. instead of just the S&P. Yeah, and so the whole idea with that is like, okay, obviously someone's afraid to go all in on stocks, the market might dip. So I'm like, what if you just went in all in on like a 60-40 portfolio or 50-50 or even go all the way down to 100% bonds, what would happen comparing to averaging into stocks over time? And I found in the most extreme case that basically throughout history since 1960, over any 24-month period, if you had just went 100% into bonds, that would have performed about the same as going into stocks over the next two years, which is kind of insane when you think about it. Like 100% bond portfolio now is going to perform the same as a 100% stock allocation over two years of averaging in everything. Okay, so you basically took the S&P 500 as the stock Mm -hmm. proxy and then for fixed income, what did you use? The AG? A five-year, five-year, five-year uh, treasury. treasury? Yeah, yeah. So not even taking any risk with agency bonds, nothing corporate. No, no. Okay. So what you're basically saying is that the more you're weighted towards stocks, the better. But even if you had no weighting to stocks mm-hmm. and you just did an all-bond portfolio, you still on average did better doing that than doing a dollar cost average. Yeah, slight, on average, slightly better. Yeah, they're, they're basically break even at that point, but that's just insane. But the volatility no one, is yeah. way less. Yeah, yeah, no it. one's going to go 100%, I mean, bonds when you want, when your true allocation would be 100% stock. It's just it's just mind bound. It's just saying like the whole point is like, you should be in like something more conservative. So put it all in now, just put in a more conservative portfolio. Do a 60-40, do a 50-50, it doesn't so the, really right. matter. So the, the big takeaway yeah. from, from your piece, and I want to get into why that's relevant, for investors and then also for financial advisors who advise investors. But your big takeaway is, yes, it's scary to take a a pile of cash and throw it at the stock market. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people would say, okay, so why don't you just take 10% 
and add it to the market every month. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you'll be fully invested, but you will not have picked one price. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine. Um, you won't do as well on average. Mm -hmm. But here's a happy medium. Rather than choosing between those two, pick an asset allocation, to your point. Let's say it's 60% stocks, 40% fixed income. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like over two years, rolling two-year periods on average versus just a simple dollar cost average if you were to do that? I mean, I, I don't have the number. I mean, it's in the post, but it's like you're going to outperform most of the time. I mean, probably like, I'm guessing like close to 70% of the time you'd outperform. So in right? all yeah. rolling two-year periods, yeah. and there are probably hundreds of them in, yeah, in yeah. what you studied. Since 1960, yeah. You're just okay. rolling and like most of the time you're going to outperform. You're going to outperform by a... Um, a small amount, a couple percent. Enough so, yeah, that yeah. it was worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Right. And so the whole idea is like just get in the market now and the whole, why, so why does DC underperform? Why is it putting in overtime to perform? Because the cash is sitting there and it's not invested. It's earning nothing. Yeah, and so some people say, well, what if you put the cash in a money market fund or something? Like I did that, I ran that analysis and it does change it a little bit, but it doesn't change it enough. Like the main point still stands. It's gonna move it a little. So for example, you wouldn't, the 100% bond is no longer outperforming the uh, DC into all well, stock. I was going to say, what's that, yeah. the money market earning? Yeah, it's going to move. It's going right. to move over. Yeah, so if the money market earns more, it's going to move it over. But still, like a 40-60 portfolio, which is only 40% in stocks, even when your cash is earning, the DCA cash is earning over um, something like treasury. I use treasury bills in this case, but even if, if it's earning money, you're still going to underperform. You're still, you're still winning. Yeah because you don't have that drag of money cash earning drag. very little or nothing these days. Cash earn, I mean, think about this. If we get 2% a year, you run that for a year, that's the annual inflation rate, right? Let's just assume it's 2%, some will say it's higher, but if, at 2% a year, every day you lose 50 basis points. If you have 10 grand in cash right now, every single day, you're that's losing wild. 50 cents. I mean, it might not seem like much, but if on a million bucks, that's, you know, that's $50 a year. So like I that, like so. that you went back to 1960, because if I were somebody who wanted to criticize your premise, I would have said, well, interest rates have been falling since 1981, mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're studying a, a, like, like a mono environment. Mm -hmm. um, so you actually have data showing uh, an entire period in which interest rates rose, mm -hmm. and rose substantially, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and then also this period where interest rates fell. So you've got both sides of the pendulum. Yeah, okay. and if you look if you look at some of the charts when you see where, where the underperformance, outperformance occurs, there's no sort of regime effect there's no where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, there's there's no if you look at it, just it looks like it's jumping all over the place. It's not like okay, in the early eighties it did worse or it did better. It's like it's jumping all over the place. And because of that I think it it, it makes the results even more trustworthy in this case. Right. So the, the 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 ramifications for financial advisors, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have we speak with a, a prospective investor, and in a lot of cases, they're coming to us with, yes, a portfolio, but then also a lot of excess cash. And that's part of the reason they're coming to us, because um, the bond market has done well, the stock market has done well, but they've had too much in cash. They've not been able to bring themselves to invest. And a lot of that is because they don't have confidence in what they're doing, how they're investing. And then, of course, they have the same concern that we all have. What's going to happen in the future? Am I going to get fully invested right before the market top? And that behavior manifests itself in five-year periods where people sit in cash with two-thirds of their money, a third of their money. Okay, so we run into this all the time. And it's almost as though people want someone to tell them, yes, invest it, but then they still don't want to do it. The work that you've done and the charts that you've put together, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, I just feel like that's a really great way to explain to people why we don't sit around waiting for this magical moment to happen that A, you can't predict, and B, when it does happen, that's the time you'll be least confident to invest. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not even like it'll help you. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you hear stories like this all the time. Yeah, and I think the, the main thing is like you just need to, as long as you have enough cash for your, like your outlays, like your emergency fund basically, however long you have, a year or two or whatever. Sep whatever separate yeah. money. That's a separate question right. though. And this is like after you have those taken care of, then this money is like you need to put that in the market. And I'm not saying it needs to be in the stock market, it could be in the bond market. It just needs to be in some diversified portfolio. Maybe it's even more conservative than what your original you know, investment thesis was. Or when you first sat down with the planner, you said, okay, it looks like I need 80-20, but then you get this $10 million windfall or some big, whatever it is, some large amount of money. And now you need to invest that as well. Maybe you put that in a more conservative thing just because you're worried and that's fine. And then you can, at some point in the future, you can start transitioning back to your, your proper allocation. There's different ways of doing this. There's no perfect answer to this, but I feel like that's the right way to go about doing this because sitting in cash, you're just gonna get eaten alive. I mean, inflation's going to keep, I mean, I don't say it's gonna go up, but I'm saying inflation will be around. I, I doubt that we're gonna have like deflation going forward. I just think inflation is something that's here to stay and it's gonna stay constant for, for some amount of time. So now one, one last interesting thing um, in, in that, in that uh, vein, I'm, so I'm 42, my generation is now watching their parents pass away mm -hmm. and they're inheriting money. And it's not always a lot of money, but still, anything that you inherit, it's got this burden attached to it that's bigger than just the money. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like this is the, the legacy the financial legacy of a parent. And it almost doubles the amount of responsibility that you feel to invest it. And with that added responsibility comes um, a lot of emotional baggage. I don't wanna make a mistake. My father you know, worked his whole life. My mother worked her whole life to build this up. And it's almost, I don't wanna say paralyzing, but like it, it absolutely uh, puts people on edge, even people that have been confident in investing their whole lives. They almost see this as something different. Um, so that's why I think what you've illustrated is so powerful. And I think what it's saying is, uh, yeah, there is a likelihood that you take this money and fully invest it in stocks and bonds, and it's not a great time to have done so. Um, but number one, the odds are not on the side of that argument. The odds are on the other side. And number two, what if you do nothing? You, that's not actually an answer. Um, so somewhere in between, invest it all in stocks or do absolutely nothing, sit in cash. Mm -hmm. I like this as, a, as an alternative. Asset allocation, pick how much risk you want within that asset allocation mm -hmm. and just understand that the math is on your side. Yeah, say that yeah I would right say just to... be more, especially you said there's this emotional baggage there, just be more conservative in the portfolio. If you're really worried about losing that money, then you know put it into a, a portfolio with more bonds, with more safety, where, where it's less likely that something like this would happen. So, I mean, no, there's no guarantees with any asset, but I, you know, stocks versus bonds, just, just load up on more bonds and that, and that should take care of that. Now, obviously you're still taking risk on the far end. If there's not enough return on that money, that money will dwindle away the higher your bond percentages historically at least, right? So right. it's whether it's, I mean, you're taking the risk somewhere, right? So if, you, if, you, if you just sit in cash, like, yeah, you're never gonna lose a dollar, but then, you know, 30 years from now, that's gonna, the purchasing power is gonna be cut in half, maybe more, right? right. So it's, it's, it's your call of what you want to risk do, is, right? Yeah. Risk is why you're earning anything on it Yeah, all, of course, so. yeah, you gotta take a little bit, right? All right, so listen, at the end of the day, uh, the most important thing is that you are assuming some risk because there's no such thing as no risk. We just have different types of risks. This is Nick Majuli. I'm Josh Brown. Make sure you're following and subscribe to the channel and make sure you're subscribed to Of Dollars and Data. That's Nick's blog. He posts regularly every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Don't yeah. miss it. Um, go ahead and smash that like button for us and we will be back soon.